0: podcast, everybody. Uh, my name is Walker Nipko, And I'm super excited to be doing this. I've, I've always wanted to do a podcast. I just now have gotten the, the motivation and courage to finally do it. So my, my podcast name is the United States of grit. So first of all, the United States, I, I love American history. So this is going to be a, a podcast about American history, more specifically about individuals in American history who have shown courage, shown true grit, um, and helping shape um, the nation that we live in today. Now, the reason I use the word grit, um, I guess it stems mostly from a childhood memory. And that's from the movie True Grit with Rooster Cogburn, with Labeef. Uh, John Wayne was the main character. And I just, I just loved that movie. I thought it was the, the coolest thing ever, just a total Western cowboy movie. But if you look up the definition of grit, oftentimes the first word that will pop up is courage. So i want to read to you this definition. It says, to have grit means you have courage and show the strength of your character. A person with true grit has passion and perseverance. Goals are set and followed through. A person who works really hard to follow through on commitments has true grit. And I love that. That adds in there. Goals are set and followed through. I think a lot of times in today's world, that's a key ingredient that we're missing in success is to set goals and to follow through on goals. And so I think these the, the purpose of this podcast is to highlight people who did just that um, and and really helped shape the greatest nation on earth. So my first topic is going to be Christopher Columbus. I mean, who better than the founder of the continent which our nation is on? And Christopher to start my my first podcast with. Um, the, the other reason I really wanted to do Christopher Columbus is because I've been reading a book called The Pilgrim Hypothesis. Now the book's written by Tim Ballard. If you don't know who Tim Ballard is, he's a true American patriot, a true American hero. He's the the CEO and founder of Operation Underground Railroad Railroad, which is dedicated to um, ending child slavery in the world today. He's just a true hero. Um, he's just a lover of uh, of history as well, and this book really inspired me to to talk about Christopher Columbus. And as I reflected back upon, you know, my upbringing when I was in elementary, I felt like when I was first introduced to Christopher Columbus, he was he was made out to be a hero. I remember learning about him in elementary, and he was a hero that had discovered America, and we would watch all these cartoon videos of Christopher Columbus, and he was, you know, the the greatest thing. And so growing up as a young kid, I just viewed him as a hero. Uh, but that, that changed as I got into high school and into college. I, I noticed the tune about Christopher Columbus had changed, uh, that he wasn't viewed as a hero anymore, at least not in uh, the settings that I was in, in the classes that I was in. He was more highlighted for what he did wrong. And this podcast isn't about justifying the wrongs that he did, because he certainly did do um, some wrong things and some things that I wished he hadn't have done and things that he wished he hadn't have done as well. And I think that's something that we don't know, that we we fail to, to look at, is how Columbus uh, viewed the things that he did as well. So without further ado, let's get into it. Um, and talk about Christopher Columbus. So Christopher Columbus was actually born in Italy, even though he was funded by Spain on his trip to the Americas. He was born in Italy. He was an Italian. He was born to a, a lower middle class family. His father was a wool weaver, actually. And I want to share a quote from Columbus. Um, this was a quote he, he, he said it later on in his life. But it says, at a very early age, I began to navigate upon the seas, which I have continued to do to this day. I prayed to the most merciful Lord concerning my desire, and he gave me the spirit and intelligence for it. Now, that's so important, I think, to to recognize that at a young age, Columbus was praying to be able to have the spirit and intelligence to be able to navigate upon the seas. I think that's just a perfect example that God was preparing somebody he was preparing an instrument, you know. At a young age, I, I can't say that I was preparing by by praying and asking for the skills of what I wanted to do as a career. You know, I, I still flip flop on that. <laughs> so at this, it, just the fact that at a young age Columbus was already praying for these things, um, I think God made it known to him at a young age that um, he was he was destined to to sail the seas and to make a difference in the world that way. So. Like I said, you know, at a a young age, he was destined to sail the seas. And so when he was young, he was signing up as a a common deckhand on merchant ships. And as he continued to work on more ships, he uh, eventually got more and more responsibilities and the, you know, more and more trust was given to him. Um, But at age 25, he actually, he signed up for a longer trip than he'd usually done on a ship called Behala. Um, And it was to trade goods from Italy to England. Now, at this time, the French were at war, and any ship that they saw out at sea, they assumed that it was a threat. And so uh, Columbus's ship that he was on was attacked by the French, and they they even came onto the uh, Columbus's ship, and hand-to-hand com- combat ensued, and Columbus was right in the thick of it. You know, he was <laughs> participating in this hand-to-hand combat. Uh, eventually, you know, the, the ships got set on fire, and Columbus— You know went overboard you know jumped overboard there really wasn't an option Um, but here's i think one of the first miracles that we really see in columbus's life that i think just shows that god uh, was preserving him um, and needed him he jumped overboard and he swims eastward he swims eastward for six hours Uh, that's insane Six hours swimming in the Atlantic Ocean. I, I can't even tread water for five minutes, let alone swim for six hours in the Atlantic Ocean. But God was God was with him, I'm sure. He was protecting him because he knew he had a calling ahead of him in his life. So he swims for six hours. Eventually, he arrives upon the coast of Portugal, which here's another miracle in, it, in and of itself. Portugal, this time, was like the, the hub for ocean travel in the world. There were so many opportunities for ocean travel um, in Portugal, just huge ports, ships coming in and out all the time. So Columbus couldn't have landed in a better place for himself, for an admirer of the ocean and for wanting to eventually um, have his own voyage. Now it's at this time when Columbus is in Portugal, he he falls in love with a a young woman named Filipa and uh, they have a, a son together. Um, And it's important to note as well that Columbus's father-in-law, who he never met because his father-in-law had passed away before Columbus married his daughter, but his father-in-law was a great admirer of the ocean as well. And he had all these manuscripts, um, all these maps, all these studies that he had done of the ocean. And Columbus's mother-in-law actually gave it to Columbus as a gift, um, just furthering his, his drive and his excitement to have his own voyage and to go set sail upon the ocean and to discover new things. Now at this time, Columbus was petitioning the king and queen of Portugal to fund a mission for him. Um, But they continued to, to tell him no, to deny his, um, his wish of being able to, to go out on his first voyage and to make matters worse during this time, Columbus's wife tragically passes away, uh, leaving him a widower and a single father and again the portugal king and queen they deny him any funds to be able to take this voyage so it's at this time columbus actually moves to spain moves to spain and he moves into a monastery actually and columbus early on um stated that the lord had blessed him with an understanding of mathematics and geography and it's at this time at this monastery i'm sure that He learned how to to combine that knowledge of mathematics and geography with religious studies, with God, with Jesus Christ, and how they all combined together and worked together. Now, he also started petitioning the king and queen of Spain uh, for funds for a voyage. Uh, As we know, it was to find a new route to India. But I think a lot of us... um, at least in today's world, we look at this as Columbus was seeking monetary gain, which I'm not saying he wasn't. Obviously, he was he was seeking monetary gain. There's no way he could have convinced the king and queen of Spain to fund his mission if there if there wasn't going to be a monetary gain. But I think we, we often overlook um, a little more of the truth of what was driving Columbus to do this voyage. And Hugh Nibley, he was a professor at Brigham Young University. As a scholar there. He um, states that Columbus wished to discover the Indies to get enough money to rebuild the temple at Jerusalem so God's people might go back to the temple to the Holy of Holies. And then uh, Carol Delaney, she is a Stanford scholar. In her article, Columbus's Goal, Jerusalem, um, she talks about that today people failed to see that Colum- what Columbus's ultimate goal was and The purpose behind his mission, and it was Jerusalem. Um, you know, she she concludes that Columbus firmly believed that what he accomplished was not so much a discovery, but a revelation, an important step in uncovering God's plan. The um, Delaney's colleague, Leonard Sweet, uh, he added that Columbus's voyage was not a commercial venture as much as it was a spiritual quest and a medium of redemption. Um, and that's all found in in the Pilgrim hypothesis as well. Those quotes. So Columbus was seeking um, to restore the temple in Jerusalem as well. At this time, the temple was being um, overrun by, by foreigners and it was being desecrated and destroyed And Columbus. Um, even, even once he starts his voyages, he, he tells the king and queen of Spain that he wants some of the money that's sent back to Spain from the voyages, he wants it sent to Jerusalem to help to, to fix and rebuild the temple. So this was a very spirit-driven man. He had a very specific purpose as well, not just monetary gain, uh, but he wanted to restore Jerusalem and the temple as well. Now, eventually he gets his, his wish and he gets the funds that he needs from the king and queen to be able to go and to set sail for uh, well, what he thinks is going to be India. Now, this first voyage of his is very God-fearing. It's spirit-filled. Um, as we all know, you know Columbus. They, they set sail on August second, 1492, with the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. Um, you know Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492. You know that's what we all learned growing up. Um, but miracles accompany him along his journey to and home from this first voyage. Like I said, Columbus is very, you know, filled with the spirit. He's very spirit driven. You know, he's he want he's wanting to share the news of Jesus Christ um wherever he goes. And so some examples of miracles that take place is you know, one day they're out on the ocean and there's no wind. They're just sitting there, just not moving. And they he states that he see they see the ocean rise and it pushes his ship without wind. And he, he compares it like unto to the parting of the Red Sea. Just an absolute miracle that the Lord was was pushing him towards where he needed to go, what he needed to discover. Now, the other one is in the distance one night, Columbus could see a light, like a candle bobbing up and down in the distance. And he actually got one of his crew members to come over and they both looked at it. His crew members saw it as well, but the rest of his crew could not see it. They didn't know what they were talking about, but Columbus knew, and Columbus knew that he was to follow that light. The next morning he uh, arrived on the shore of the American continent. Uh, La Navidad that's the first little uh, colony that he sets up there but he arrives there um, and just praises God praises God that he made it here that he discovered this this new world he actually goes and he uh, erects crosses up everywhere on this uh, this new land that he found to to show his his love and his uh belief in Jesus Christ. And he meets the Taíno people as well. They're the natives there, and he he becomes soon friends with them as well. You know they have a, a good relationship, and you know it's just a very spirit filled voyage on the way there. And Columbus is relying on God. He's praying a lot, um, and obviously this was what God had wanted. He wanted this new world to be discovered. Now, when Columbus has to head back to Spain, he leaves a group of men. Um, there at La Navidad, and he leaves them there to to stay there to, you know, continue to organize stuff, and he's going to come back eventually with more supplies and with more men, and so he leaves that group of men there, and then he sets sail to go back to Spain um, to, you know, give them the good news that he's discovered a new world. Well, on his way back, um, Columbus is, he's sailing the Nina, and the Pinta is also sailing with him, Columbus is on the Nina. He's controlling the Nina, and they're sailing alongside with the Pinta. But a huge storm suddenly hits them, and the storm grows so bad that they can't even see the Pinta anymore. They lose it. They don't know where it's at, and uh, they just assume that the Pinta has been uh, destroyed and it sank to the bottom of the ocean. And Columbus was so afraid for his life that he actually wrote down directions to this new world. Um, He ended up putting it in a crate and and throwing it overboard, and trusted that the Lord would guide it to where it needed to go so that the people can know that this new world was discovered and this is how they would get there. I mean, it was that bad of a storm. Anyways, eventually Columbus and his men decide to make a covenant to God because the storm's not letting up. So they make a covenant that if he spares their lives, that they will um, essentially travel around churches uh, in Europe and and preach the word of God. And it's interesting because on two occasions that we know of, Um, They they drew lots, and whoever drew the lot would be the one that would lead the expedition in going and spreading the word of of God to these churches. And on both occasions, Columbus was the one that drew the lot. I think just further um, confirming that the Lord trusted Columbus, that the Lord was with Columbus, that the Spirit was with him. Anyways, they make this covenant, and they actually miraculously are able to uh, navigate their way to the Portugal coast. And they arrived there in Portugal, no sign of the Pinta. And they actually stay in Portugal for a week, just making repairs to the ship, um, resting as well. And then they set sail back to Spain. They set sail back to Spain and they arrive in the port at Spain. And by, by God's hand, the Pinta arrives that same exact day in the, the port in Spain. The Pinta had survived the mission as well. Just an absolute miracle. Now, You know, he he shares this news with the people of Spain that he's discovered a new world and he's paraded through the streets. He's a a hero now. He's a national hero. Everybody knows who Columbus is and he's now going to go back to Spain. His first mission, he was sent there with the three ships and just over 100 men. His second voyage, he's sent with 1,300 men and 17 ships. Now, it's important to note that the men that were assigned to go with columbus weren't uh they weren't the men that columbus would have handpicked you know these were very lustful men that were wanting to go and to make uh you know a a quick uh fortune by going over to a new world and and finding uh new discoveries and things and they weren't men that were relying upon god and it's uh it's also important to note that 300 of those men were stowaways. they weren't even men that were supposed to go they stole away on the ship because they were seeking monetary value monetary gain and so now columbus he set sail to go back the second time and this is where we start to see a little bit of a an issue arise you know he's been there before he he doesn't need to rely on god to get there um so he he Starts to rely upon the natural man, rely upon his own abilities. Anyways, he arrives back to La Navidad, and uh, to his horror, every one of his men that he'd left there had been killed. And so Columbus's men that are uh, that have come over with him are, you know, demanding that he seek revenge, that he go, that they attack the natives, that they kill the natives. Um, but Columbus goes and he listens to the natives, like, why, why are my men dead? <laughs> but they they explain to him that. They were abusing the natives. The Spaniards that he'd left were abusing the natives and raping the women. Um, And so obviously a a fight, a little war insinuated, and the Taino people killed all the Spaniards that were there. And Columbus sides with the Taino people. He doesn't side with the Spaniards Spaniards and and try to fight them. He sides with the natives, uh, which is, I think, an incredible uh, show of his character at this time. You know, he he wanted allies there. He wanted people there that that trusted him as well. He didn't want to have contention. In fact, a mandate from the Queen on this, this voyage is to spread the news of Jesus Christ and to not harm the natives. That's specific mandate from the Queen. So Columbus does a, a I think a, a very good thing in there, and he he sides with the natives. Now here's where he makes his big, big mistake. Columbus knows these men that he's brought with him are men that aren't trustworthy. They're men that are lustful, men that are just seeking monetary gain, men that he's not going to trust with the natives either. And Columbus decides he wants to go and explore other islands around the area. So these men that he brought there, he leaves them at this, this new colony they set up, La Isabella. And he essentially just tells them, hey, don't harm the natives. You're not supposed to harm the natives. Don't mess with them. I'm going to go, and I'm going to go explore some other islands, okay? So he hops on a ship and leaves for five months. Now Columbus knew better. He knew better than to leave these men there, these men that were seeking um, monetary value. They were seeking to get riches. Columbus comes back five months later um, to chaos, to absolute chaos. Um, You know, when he arrives he's, the abuse has still continued. The The Spaniards have continued to abuse Taino people. They continue to, to rape their women. And Columbus at this time also gets word that there's all these rumors of these other tribes that are wanting to seek and come uh, and destroy Columbus and the Spaniards. So Columbus actually sides with the Spaniards on this one. He sides with the Spaniards and he goes as far as, as to identify tribes that um, are rumored to want to attack the Spaniards. He identifies those tribes and he goes and captures men, women, children of those tribes and puts them on a ship and sends them to to Spain to be sold into slavery. And that's where, uh, that's what happened. You know, that's where this, this horrible thing that Columbus did happened. It was on the second voyage where it started and he, he totally had just abandoned his his thought process, his motives from the first voyage, that motive of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, of, of listening to the Spirit, being spirit-filled and spirit-guided. Uh, he, he'd gone away from that. So that's unfortunately that's, that's the sad truth of what happened on that second voyage of Columbus's. Now on his third voyage, um, he goes back over and the abuse, the abuse is, is still happening. When he gets back, the abuse is still happening to the natives. And then a rebellion starts as well, a rebellion among his own men, uh, a man named Francisco Rodon. He was one of the leaders in this rebellion against Columbus. Um, but it's also important to notice, to note that in the second and third voyage, as, as Columbus, you know, he captured and, and sold natives into slavery. He was also going and freeing other tribes from slavery. Um, there, there was a tribe called the Carib tribe. The Carib tribe, and they were they were cannibals. They captured some of the Taino people, and they were using them as sex slaves and, and eating them. And Columbus put together rescue missions to go and slave, to go and save and liberate these tribes that were in slavery. So you see this really confusing um, portrayal here of Columbus. You know, he's he's sold some into slavery, but now he's going and he's he's putting together missions and saving other ones from slavery. And it's important to to remember at this time as well that Columbus is under so much stress from everything going on with the the natives and everything that's going on with the with his own crew, the Spaniards that he brought over, that the stress is so so intense that he can, he goes blind once in a while. He can't see it all because the stress is so overwhelming. So like I said, though, Francisco on he's kind of one of the leaders in this rebellion against Columbus. Um, and he essentially tells all the people, all the Spaniards, you know, you follow me instead of Columbus. And I'll give you all of the slaves that you want, all of the labor and all the sex slaves that you want. We'll capture the, the natives and we'll, we'll put them into slavery. We'll have them work here for us. And Columbus obviously has to get a handle on this. And so Columbus actually ends up hanging several Spaniards. He hangs them for uh, rebellion against him. Now word gets back to Spain, to the king and the queen, that this has happened. That there were some Spaniards that were hung and they don't know fully know why he was hung. They were hung. So they send a man named Francisco Bobadilla They send him over to investigate this situation to to see if Columbus was, you know, justified in hanging these Spaniards. But they make a huge, huge mistake. They tell Bobadilla that go over there and investigate. And if you find wrongdoing on Columbus's part, then send Columbus back here, have him arrested and send him back here to Spain. And you will be the new leader of the colony. You will be the new governor. So Bobadilla is traveling over to the American continent. Before he even arrives upon American soil, he he in his mind has made up his mind that Columbus is guilty. Now he arrives there. Um, he arrests Columbus, puts him in shackles, essentially throws him in a pit for um, a couple days. And just imagine Columbus. Here he was in this new world that he had discovered. And he's you know trapped in a pit. He can't get out. He's imprisoned there. Now they send him on a ship and send him back to Spain. And Columbus has to go and plead his innocence to the king and the queen. And he does just that. He pleads with them, you know, he explains to them why these Spaniards were hung. And the, the king and the queen believe him, and they, they realize that he was justified in hanging those Spaniards, but they've also gotten word about the abuse among the natives. And at this time, Columbus, he he pleads for forgiveness from the king and the queen for that abuse that he let happen. He pleads for forgiveness from God for these things that he let happen now at this time columbus goes he's freed he's let go and he goes and he lives in a monastery and at this time in this monastery he reconnects with god he reconnects to to that columbus that was on the first voyage that was seeing all these miracles because he was being spiritually driven not driven by the natural man not driven by his own um, impulses not by monetary value. He's being spiritually driven again. He's seeking redemption. He's seeking forgiveness. Um, And it's at this time that he writes a book, El Libro de de las Profecias, or the Book of Prophecies. And in this book, he is quoting Old Testament scripture, Old Testament scripture that he's claiming is prophesying of him, him discovering this new land. And at this time, a lot of historians kind of just, Say Columbus is old. Um, he's just kind of an old crazy guy living in a monastery. You know, like I said, he'd been going blind because of all of the stress he was under. Um, but I don't, I don't buy it. And and Tim Ballard states that as well. You know, Columbus was reconnecting with God. He was he was coming back to his original roots of what made him desire to sail upon the seas to um, to pray for the intelligence to navigate upon the seas. And so Columbus then gets to go on a fourth voyage. He goes on this fourth voyage and he gets to take his son this time because he wants to teach his son as well. He wants to teach his son how to rely upon God. He wants his son to have these adventures as well. And miracles um, come with him on this fourth voyage as well, because he's back to the Columbus that he was on that first voyage. Um, he's seeking forgiveness. He's continuing to repent all the time, and it's kind of a pity voyage. They kind of just let him go um, out of pity for him. You know, he was the discoverer of this new land. Okay, we'll we'll let him go again on this third, on this fourth voyage, whatever. So he goes on this voyage, goes back to the American continent, and he arrives in the port of Santo Domingo, and um, Francisco Bobadilla is still the leader. Um, of this colony that Columbus had created. Anyways, when when Columbus arrives in the port, they won't let him dock his boats. Bobadilla says, "No, you can't. You're 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 crazy. We don't want you here. We already got you out of here. We don't want you. You can't dock here." And Columbus said, "You have to let me dock here. There's there's a hurricane coming." And these guys are going, "What what are you talking about, you old crazy guy? There's no hurricane. There's no signs of a hurricane coming. Nothing's coming." And Columbus then gets word that Bobadilla and Roldan, he's the one that one of the ones that set up the rebellion against Columbus, Francisco Roldan and Francisco Bobadilla. Uh, they're, they're planning to send a fleet back to Spain, a big fleet of ships to go back to Spain to deliver things. And Columbus tells him, don't do it. There's a hurricane coming. And again, they just shrug it off, you know, say it's just a, a crazy guy that's lost his mind Um, There's no signs of a hurricane or anything at this point. And so Columbus eventually leaves that port and finds a river. He goes and he he sails up and he anchors there. And then sure enough, uh, a hurricane comes, a big storm hits. And Bobadilla and Roldan, they had sent out their fleet and they were actually aboard ships that were in that fleet. And over 500 sailors in that fleet perished. Including Francisco Bobadilla and Francisco Roldan, they both—they're both killed in a storm that Columbus had prophesied. He prophesied this storm was going to happen. Now, only one ship made it. Made it that there's only one ship that didn't sink, and it happened to be the very the smallest ship, and it happened to be the ship that was carrying the gold that the queen and king had ordered to pay Columbus for his previous voyages. That's the only ship that makes it back to Spain. And Columbus's son is, one of his sons is there to receive that ship. Uh, It's important to note too that of all those ships that sunk, over 2,000 pounds of gold sunk with it. But Columbus's uh, gold that was to pay him and his family made it to Spain. And that was the only ship that made it. Absolute miracle. Absolute miracle. No, No doubt God was with Columbus on this voyage as he's seeking redemption at this time. Um, So, But this fourth voyage, it really doesn't go as planned. Columbus tries to set up other colonies. Uh, The natives uh, in those places prevent him from doing so. Um, They basically chase him out. He even gets shipwrecked in Jamaica for almost a year. So it wasn't a, a fruitful voyage like his first voyage was. And I think that the Lord was trying to teach him something there. You know, this first voyage, he relied upon God and he had great success, great success. On this fourth voyage, when he, you know, he'd made mistakes in his third and fourth, second and third voyage. On this fourth one, he's turning back to God and relying upon God again. But it's not as fruitful as he's still going to rely upon God, even though he's not seeing as success as he saw on his first voyage. And it's important to note, too, that Columbus on this voyage was very strict with his men. They had to sign in and out if they were going oh. Off um, the ship. They're going off the ship, they had to sign out. They came back onto the ship, they had to sign in. Very strict with the men. But at this time, Columbus sees a vision. Um, He has a vision of an angel appearing to him. And the angel tells him, You know, Columbus, God is still with you, but keep on repenting. God's still with Columbus at this point. He'd made these horrible mistakes in the past, horrible mistakes. And the angel encourages him, keep on repenting, keep going, keep trying. And the angel gives him two scriptural examples that he wants Columbus to, to think on and to, to review. And the first one was King David. We look at King David as the hero that slayed Goliath. And later on in his life, he made a big mistake. You know, he, he sent, uh, he saw beautiful women bathing in the streets found out she was married, and sent her husband to the front lines of battle to almost certain death. And then after the husband was killed, he went and married this woman. Um, And we remember him as the hero that slayed Goliath. And a prophet even corrected David, let him know what he did was wrong. And David then sought redemption and forgiveness. It's a perfect example of you can screw up pretty bad, And the Lord can still use you as an instrument. Keep on repenting. And the other example, it was the children of Israel. The angel told him he wanted to reflect upon him to reflect upon the children of Israel. You look at these people that were liberated from the Egyptians uh, by Moses. You know, Moses parts the Red Sea. These they they witnessed these miracles. They walked through the Red Sea. Um, You know, then Columbus comes down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments and they've, you know, built statues and are worshiping false idols. Then they, you know, continue to make mistakes and they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. But God still used them as his people and led them to a promised land. You know, I think it's so important and crucial to remember this, that we can screw up, but we can seek forgiveness. Tim Ballard makes an awesome point And, you know, he says that his friends and his colleagues had told him, Don't try to write about Columbus. You can't redeem him. And, and Tim Ballard says, You're right, I can't redeem Columbus, but the Lord can. Nobody can redeem Columbus. Nobody can redeem, you know, anyone, but the Lord can. He can redeem anyone. And so I think that I look at this fourth voyage as Columbus is as the most important. Even though it wasn't the most successful, um, even though they everybody had cast him off as a crazy old man, Columbus is connecting with God. He's reconnecting um, with the God that raised him up, with the God that accompanied him on his first voyage. He's reconnecting. He's reconverting to the Lord. Now, Columbus, he ends up dying a pretty sad guy. He dies a, a pretty lonely uh, life after he returns from his first vo- the fourth voyage. He only lives for two more years, and he, he passes away. Um, so kind of a, a sad ending to his life. But um, I want to I kind of close with a quote, um, what Columbus said. He said that he prayed for mercy and the atonement of Jesus Christ covered him completely. Uh, That's a powerful statement from a man who made some some pretty big mistakes. Made some pretty big mistakes, but he recognized those mistakes. He acknowledged them. He sought forgiveness. Uh, He sought forgiveness in the only person who could provide that forgiveness, and that was Jesus Christ. Now, I want to share a scripture from the Book of Mormon. Um, I know not everybody um, that listens will necessarily be a Latter-day Saint, but I still think it applies for, for Christians and people that believe in God. Uh, an ancient prophet, Nephi, um, he prophesied of Columbus. In First Nephi 13, verse 12, it says, And I looked and beheld a man among the Gentiles, who was separated from the seed of my brethren by the many waters. And I beheld the Spirit of God, that it came down and wrought upon the man. And he went forth upon the many waters, even unto the seed of my brethren who were in the promised land. I beheld the Spirit of God, that it came down and wrought upon the man. You know, this is prophesying of Columbus. God worked with Columbus. He used Columbus as an instrument in his hands to come and to discover this new world, discover a new world where the you know, pilgrims would eventually come to, where Christianity and freedom of religion would thrive. You know, this was absolutely uh, God's dealings. God needed this to happen, and he used Columbus as his instrument. And back to the title of the podcast, the United States of Grit, Uh, just the grit of Columbus to to turn away from the mistakes that he did, that he made, to acknowledge the mistakes as well, to to persevere, to set goals, to rely upon God again. You know, he showed true grit, especially in that fourth voyage, Um, especially in coming back, even though the voyage wasn't successful, he showed grit continuing to go continuing to rely upon god and trust in him so columbus is is my first true grit american even though he's not an american but he's the discoverer of america so thank you everybody for listening to my podcast um if you'd like send me some uh suggestions on different american heroes you'd love for me to talk to cover uh, or a specific event you'd like me to cover and i'd be happy to to research those things and and do some podcasts on them So thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next time.